Uh, thank you guys for clapping. If you did not clap, I've got you scheduled for next week. Uh, Philippians chapter... That's not, that's not a joke, people. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4 is where we are. We do know that God is good. We've been singing about that. I also know that I can be a malcontent if I'm not careful. Uh, one of my favorite places to eat in really anywhere because there is a variant of it everywhere that you go. Uh, but I love to go to a hibachi grill. Anybody else? Anybody hibachi people in the room? Yeah. Uh, I, you, you won't clap for child care, but you clap for that. Uh, I remember uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine and I had gone to the hibachi grill. It's similar to Little Tokyo here in Lake Jackson. And when we went to the table, we were there not really just for lunch or dinner. We were there for dinner and a show. We wanted the entire experience, and we sat down at the table. But if you've ever sat at one of these tables, you realize very quickly, you don't just get to sit by yourself. They start surrounding you with randos. Uh, and the randos start uh, coming into the restaurant, sitting around the table. And it was us and a couple of mothers and uh, a multitude of children. And they, they sat down at the table and we begin to have the conversation where we're letting them know which soup that we want and if we want chicken or steak or shrimp or all three. And while we're having this conversation, as, as it's coming to its conclusion and I'm letting them know that I want the miso soup and this mother across from me looks at the the chef and she says to him and if you don't mind I really don't want you to use fire <laughs> look I'm not a chef myself but in my head I think you've got to have fire to cook and, for, and maybe you can cook without it but I don't get the show without the fire I don't get the volcano without the fire. I don't get the choo-choo train without the fire. And what made it worse was, the, as he is preparing our food, very boringly, I, mind, I remind you, uh, as he's doing this, she reaches into her purse, and you guys know the mom purse. It's just this deep cavern with an extension charm on it, and she pulls out chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A for her children. They weren't even there to eat what the rest of us were eating. I was completely dissatisfied. I had not been cared for. I had not been loved. I had, been not, I had not been treated well. This woman had chosen to uh, really rob me of something. When we get to Philippians chapter 4, we're in a passage where Paul's talking to us about care. He's talking to us about being content. He's talking to us about being satisfied. He's talking to us about everyday life. He's talking to us about looking at our situations and looking at our circumstances and being reminded of who God is in the midst of all that's taking place. So if you're in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, if, you have, if you're using one of the Bibles that our church has in the chairs, it's on page 1042. But uh, I'm going to read to you verses 10 through 23 and then we're going to break it down. Uh, Philippians 4, picking up in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. 
And you Philippians know that in the early days, the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full. And I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided me, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God willing... And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. If you're looking for a breakdown of the text, a simple way to do that is to see in verses 10 through 12, you see Paul having a conversation about care. In verse 13, Paul will discuss contentment. In verses 14 through 19, Paul talks about commitment. In verses 20 through 23, Paul talks, he gives his conclusion for the entirety of the book of Philippians. One more time, in verses 10 through 12, you see a conversation about care. In verse 13, he is talking about our contentment. In verse 14, verses 14 through 19, we're looking at commitment. And verses 20 through 23, it's his conclusion of the entirety of the book. Let's go back with me to verses 10 through 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again, you renewed your care for me. In fact, concern about me, but I lack the opportunity to show it. When we read that passage, this portion of the text, Paul is letting us know that this idea of God's care for, the church, for him through the church at Philippi was not just about spiritual needs. Now, we do believe that God cared for Paul spiritually. Paul talks about that a lot. But the way that God cared for him spiritually was, in a sense, connected to God's physical provision for Paul. You see Paul referencing the care of this church for his practical needs throughout the closure of this letter. In verse 10, you see, he, you see him say, your care for me. In verse 14, he says, you partnered with me. No church shared with me except you. Verse 16, he says, you sent gifts to me. Paul is talking about his impoverished condition and how God was able to meet his everyday needs. And in so doing, God was reminding him of the greater meeting that God had given in, in taking care of his spiritual needs. We see the idea of God taking care of us. And in taking care of us, God reminds those of us who are believers in him what it means to offer of our things so that greed would not stand out. Greed's a very popular thing as we look around the consumeristic world in which we live. Jesus addresses it. In Luke chapter 12, he says, it says this, he, he then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Research shows us that we want. We want and we want more. Research shows that the brain releases dopamine when you are anticipating purchasing something. More than likely, you've been on Amazon. I, somehow, my Amazon has gotten set to the one-click format. I don't know how to undo it. If you could let me know, I would appreciate that. Send that in a private email. But you notice whenever you make a purchase on Amazon or anything else, there is something that happens in you, not at the moment of purchase, but right before it. 
There's the idea that we want things, that we need things. Shopping online is more popular now than it has ever been. And shopping online, it it creates and stirs this desire for things in us more than anything else. When Paul talks about meeting his practical needs in this passage, he's saying there is going to be a sacrifice that you have to make, that you are called to make as you care for me. And he is affirming, encouraging, building this church up as they do. As they do. One of the great poets of the late 70s and early 80s was a professional wrestler named the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And he would talk about his own condition. He would say that he had wined and dined with kings and queens. And he slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans. That's... That's not what Paul says, but it's basically the same thing. When he says this, that his attitude about contentment is very similar to this. When you look into the story of Paul and the church at Philippi, he comes alongside of a lady named Lydia, and there was satisfaction in that Lydia would offer Paul and his associates to, to be present in her home. One of the wealthiest ladies in Philippi. She cared for Paul. She met the needs of Paul. But Paul also says this about his very condition. There are times for me that I've been hungry, that I've been poorly clothed, that I've been roughly treated, that I've been homeless. That he had afflictions and hardships and he was beaten. He had difficulties. He was imprisoned. There were riots. There were labor. There were sleepless nights. There's times that Paul would say that he was shipwrecked and he, was, he spent a day on open sea. Paul's pointing out that he's going to seek after a satisfaction that the church at Philippi would care for him as he's dealing with all of this. Do you realize that we as a nation are the wealthiest nation in the world? We rank highest in consumption. We rank highest in commerce. Yet in a ranking uh, based in 2021, we, though we are the wealthiest nation in the world, we are the 18th happiest nation in the world. Somehow that's increased since 2019 when we were the 23rd happiest nation in the world. When we look at passages like this and we talk about the church at Philippi being care, caring for the Apostle Paul, he is pointing out the importance of what it means for him to see that there are needs that need to be met and the church comes alongside of those. For us as a church, we get to stand beside missionaries around the world. We get to stand beside missionaries here in our own, in our own community. We get to stand beside missionaries in our nation. And we get to say that we believe the gospel of Jesus is worth us making sacrifices. Paul says to the church at Philippi that he affirms this, though he is content in his circumstances. Now the word content in the original language, it's tied to the idea of self-reliance. Paul is telling us that he is reliant on this that he is reliant that Jesus has met all of his needs it reminds me of what we see in the Psalms when David writes of God being his shepherd whenever I come across Psalm 23 because I was a child of the 90's my mind immediately goes to the movie Dangerous Mind starring Michelle Pfeiffer and a song by Coolio and the opening lyrics were as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. Now, whenever I hear that from Coolio, it, we, you should be forced to think about Psalm 23 where you're actually told the words of David. When he says something that aligns completely with what Paul is saying here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And all of us immediately begin to go to, I shall not want... But the inverse of that negative phrasing of that is this. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And everything in Psalm 23 is born out of you and I having what we need. He lets me down in green pastures because that's what I need. He leads me beside quiet waters because that's what I need. The Lord is my shepherd and he will renew my strength. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me along the right path. The Lord is my shepherd and I need his rod and I need the sta- his staff. Every aspect of one of our favorite psalms is tied to the idea of the contentment that we're moving toward in Philippians 4.13. Paul lets us know. He asks this question of us. Do you want to know what the secret sauce is? Contentment is that you are rooted in your real relationship with Jesus. Occasionally, Jerry will preach when I'm away. One of the sermons that he preached, he quote, quoted a, a man named Ed Welch. And it stays with me. Every time I read about contentment in the Bible, this phrase comes to... He defines sin as, I want and I want more. Not only is that the definition of sin, that is the good news of the world that we live in. A false good news. A a good news that miscommunicates what God really would have for us to know. That we would be able to find satisfaction in what we have and wanting more of it. When, so, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need, it coincides very much so with what Paul says when he says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Look, friends, there is wanting, there's an idea that we would have a desire and wanting things that so that we can make it and there's a completely different conversation when we want things so that we will feel like we matter. So we would drive the, the nicest car or have the largest house. Or we would be able to find our satisfaction in the things that we attain. Gathering and gathering and gathering to the point that it becomes hoarding and we don't even realize that we're surrounded by boxes. In a world filled with comparison, we look around and we think of someone else and we find what that we're looking at is alluring, but it's ultimately false. We see their nice ride, we don't see the death that comes alongside of it. We see their happy family, we don't really know what happens when they turn their phone off. Because everyone posts their best pictures. Some of us need to work better on making those pictures look more realistic. I really, guys, some of the pictures that we post online look like we've been attacked by Play-Doh. And we need to stop doing that. Kids, we, we look at people's families and we see that their kids don't act up. Have you ever met a child who doesn't act up? Ever? If so, point them to me. Paul is talking about contentment in this passage. And he's moving towards the church's care for him and how he has been able to find satisfaction in their care to him discussing real contentment that we see in verses 4, in verse 4.13. I isolate 4.13 because we as a people have isolated 4 verse 13. It is one of the favorite verses of anyone who quotes the Bible. Everyone can quote Philippians 4.13. No one can quote Philippians 4.14. Because we don't think beyond what's actually there. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. I remember being in high school and in college when there was this group called the Power Team. The Power Team were a group of people who uh, dressed. They looked like professional wrestlers. They all had mullets. Not that there's anything wrong with a mullet. Feel free to have your mullet. You, you live your life. 
they would wear Zubaz pants and they would wear tank tops and they would do things like rip phone books in half and break ice. And you could go watch all of this for two to three canned goods. And I remember thinking about how they would always quote this verse about strength. About what it meant for them to be strong and how everything... They could do all of these things. Tear the phone book. Break the ice. Break the board. Nunchucka. They could do all of this because they could do all things through Christ who strengthened them. That's not the point of that text. If that's the point of that text, then I should be able to run a marathon. There is no marathon in my future. If that's the point of the text, I should be able to dunk a basketball. I can barely get out of bed some mornings. If that's the point of the text, then I've misunderstood. And God's letting me down right now. We use that verse to talk about strength. When in actuality, it's talking about us being fulfilled. Paul saying... All of the things, the hardships, the difficulties, the struggles, everything that I face, I can face these things because my strength is not this world. My strength is Jesus. There are numerous passages that give, uh, or numerous translations that give understanding to what's happening there. The KJV says this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. <coughs> the message reads, <coughs> Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. The NIV reads, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The Kingdom New Testament reads, I have strength for everything in the one who gives me power. One pastor says this, and Rich Velotis, he has written a book called A Deeply Formed Life. He says this, we use a verse about contentment to justify our discontent. We use a verse about contentment to justify our discontent. Paul is saying that I can endure everything there is to be endured because Jesus comes alongside of me in the midst of it. That I can make it through this. My kids started exercising at this place called Grit Fitness. I guess it was last year. And I would drop them off for an hour. And I really didn't have time to drive home. So I found myself going to McDonald's because they have dollar french fries if you order on the app. And I was eating french fries. And I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't eat french fries. Maybe I should go in there and exercise too. And you go in and they give you your workout. It's 45 to 50 minutes of you hating yourself. There are two, three of our church members who go. And we're, we're glad that they go. And there's a whiteboard that's in there. And I think I've got a picture of what the whiteboard looks like. You walk in and it just says, you're going to do all this stuff. And this looks miserable. And AMRAP is this... Um, exercise speak for as many rounds as possible. So whatever the exercise is, you've got to do it however many times they tell you to do it. And there's somebody like growling at you the whole time. It's a really neat process. So I notice on the board, when you zoom in, there's another word. It's the word finisher. So after you've done that, they're going to give you your finisher. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a child of the 90s. And in the 90s, there was this video game called Mortal Kombat. It's still called that. And it was a fighting game at the local arcade. There's a, or the grocery store or the laundromat or wherever you played video games. And you would take your quarters and you would put them on the machine and you would wait to fight the next person. It's these one-on-one -on -one fights and you're ready to go. And at the end of the fight between you and your opponent, the word finish him would pop up on the screen. So whenever I read these words, that's what comes to my mind. They're about to kill me in this place. 
When you would hair finish him, you would do a button combination and your character was supposed to do something terrible to the other character. And the tamest thing that ever happened on this game was a fiery dragon came out of the ground, set your enemy on fire and ate him. So beyond that, it got much, much worse. Oh, God, I didn't have good parents like y'all. So it was... So whenever I'm at this place and I come across finisher, I'm thinking to myself... I don't know if I can get through this. When Paul says he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength, he is saying, because of who Jesus is, I can get through this. I can make it through. I can move to the point where God would have me to move. I can move beyond where I am to the next place. Paul is letting us know that he can endure all things. Does your life look like you can endure all things? Does your following of Jesus communicate that you are able to endure all things? The terrible phone call from the doctor. The even worse phone call from your kid's teacher or school. Are we people who communicate that we can endure, hold on, make it through everything that would come against us? Paul's discussing his own, his own contentment in this passage. This passage, this verse that we cling to, does the reality of that communicate in my life and in yours? That I'm content in all things. And if I'm going to confess things to you this morning, mine does not always do that. I like whatever the new thing is. I want whatever the new thing is. But as we pointed out earlier, whenever we get whatever that next thing is, we're hoping to get whatever the next thing is. We are continually dissatisfied by attempting to satisfy ourselves. What a weird, weird thing that we go through. This treadmill that we run on. Paul moves from this passage to talking about how he is content, but the church at Philippi is coming alongside of him, and they have committed to meeting his practical need. You see that in verses 14 through 19 of the passage. He says, Though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you do well in partnering with me in my hardship. You know that the boat broke down. And you know that I've not been feeling well. And you know that I'm handcuffed in this prison. You know that all of this is awful. But you are sharing in your partnership for the sake of the gospel. Practical needs. Sending someone like Epaphroditus to meet his needs. Caring for him financially. Making sure that they snuck a lunchable into him, into the prison. Making sure that he's cared for. Verse 15, he talks about the idea of a, of a partnership in the passage. A gospel partnership. That, that we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the word partnership that we talk about in the scripture is, is a word that we mistranslate into fellowship. And for us, when we use the word fellowship, what we're saying is, let's get together and let's have potluck and you bring your best dessert and I'll bring my best, uh, well, we're in Texas, I'll bring my best brisket and we'll compete against one another. That's what we do. That's not what this is. Again, we're reminded in the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with us being friendly and having dinners together every now and then. 
But when this passage talks about partnership, it's talking about us being linked together for the sake of gospel advancement. That we believe the king who we know is Jesus is greater than the kingdoms of this world and we will leverage our resources and our lives for the sake of that message going forward. We will leverage our stuff. We will leverage our, our thought process. We will leverage everything so that the gospel is displayed. He says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. See, I don't need your stuff. But there is something that's taking place not in me, but in you when you make that sacrifice. He's rejoicing because this church is, is choosing to bless him. But it ultimately, they are the ones being blessed by God because they're saying to God, Hey God, I've got all of this. And you're my shepherd and I have what I need. So I, your kingdom, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Everything on the table so that the kingdom will, will move forward. This idea of giving, it's, this, it's a physical and it's a material act. Like we know that. Any one of us who give. I had a question last week. Hey, when I went to church, it seemed like you guys forgot to take up the offering. We didn't forget. Lots of us give online. There are boxes in the corners of the room. Feel free to use those whenever you want to. We do know this. Whenever we are having this physical material act, that's a spiritual transaction that's taking place. Because what we're saying to God is, Hey, God, you're my shepherd and I have what I need and I believe that your kingdom matters. So I'm going to push it forward. If it says in verse 18, I've received everything in full and I have abundance. Now this is a man sitting in a Roman jail locked to another man. A rotation of men actually. And he's saying I've got everything that I need. Everything that I need. Tad bit convicting when I look in my closet and think that I need something else. But I do think that. It's just war in us. He says, I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The fragrant offering is tied to what we see in the Old Now, there isn't a literal offering for the New Testament believer anymore. We don't offer up a bull or a goat or a calf or a bird. But we do offer up our lives when you would read this Old Testament teaching and you would look around the world that surrounded the Old Testament, there's a belief that this fragrance pleased the Lord. And what Paul was saying, what really pleases the Lord is not what's actually there on the fire. It's the life that made the sacrifice so that could happen. It's the choice that you made to say, God, I want to please you with my stuff. I want to please you with my life. It's a spirit of generosity that's born out of love and trust. Look, I'm going I'm to give of my stuff because I trust you. I trust you more than I trust me. And that's a really hard thing to wrap our minds around. That we would trust God more than we trust ourselves. Because we really don't like people telling us what to do. Right? We don't like people telling us what to do. Have you watched the last year of our lives? We struggle when someone gives us direction. But God says this, We are to be a people who are continually about offering sacrifices for His sake because we believe that we trust Him more than we trust ourselves. Trusting in God for who He is. It's commitment. 
It's us believing that the kingdom moving forward in our community and to the ends of the earth comes when we make the, the spiritual decision to offer of our practical things, our everyday things. Paul closes out the letter in verses 20 through 23. Now to our God and Father, to glory. Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It breaks down really like this. One theologian points out, you see glory, you see greetings, and you see grace. We look and we see that we are offering a, to God glory. God, I want my life to count for the things, not that I believe matter, but the things that you believe matter. I want to do with my stuff what I believe that you care about. Greetings to every saint. He's, he's realizing the community that surrounds him, that has come alongside of him, and he says grace to every saint. So when this passage breaks down, he's ultimately saying, God, glory to you. I care for these others, so greet them. And when there are times they have wronged me, mistreated me, not cared for me properly, God, will we just show one another grace? Will we show one another grace? Uh, as we wrap up our time together in the book of Philippians, I want to read to you the central text of the book yet again, which really will be a good summation of everything that we see in the passage. When we read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and I would love for us just to have an attitude of prayer as this is read over us. The band's going to move to get in place at this time. Where Paul would say this to us about what it means for our lives to count for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. He says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like spiritual transactions taking a physical, like manifesting themselves practically and physically. As we close out our time in the book of Philippians and our time today, I just would pray over us. If you need me, I'm in the back right hand corner of the room. Uh, I'd love to be able to pray for you, to pray alongside of you. And Father, we thank you for the chance that we've had to look into your word. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. You met us, Lord, at the cross. You drew us to yourself so that we could even be there. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the way that they generously have given to, to meet the needs of our missionaries, to meet the needs of our community, to meet the needs of our church over the last year. We're grateful for that, God. Thank you so much for these people and the way that you've loved us through them. Father, I pray that as we consider this text and consider the teaching of this passage, that we will learn to find contentment in you. Lord, my, my heart struggles with contentment sometimes. I wrestle with being dissatisfied sometimes, and I confess that. Lord, I pray that we would all realize the lack of contentment and the dissatisfaction that can rear its ugly head in our hearts. 
God, I pray that we would see that we can endure all things through you, Jesus. That we can make it through, God, that everything that this life throws at us, that we can, we can see that you've chosen not to abandon us. That you're our shepherd and what you have, you've provided everything that we need. That you'll discipline us when we need to be disciplined. That you'll care for us when we need to be cared for. That you'll make us lay down because we don't always want to lay down. Father, help us to see you and know you and love you and trust you because of the teaching of the book of Philippians. The teaching of Scripture. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.